This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts Podcast with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. Hey, I heard you needed inspiration. He's Ilana and friends with some revelations. Little known back to the day, every little thing's gonna be A-OK. Hey everyone, new episodes of Little Known Facts drop every Monday and you can find them on your favorite podcast provider. Also, if you go to the website, littleknownfactspodcast.com, you'll find behind-the-scenes photos, videos, and interviews, and lots more on the gallery page. And if you are loving these intimate, candid conversations with all the artists who come on the show, please head over to the contributions page. I depend on these donations to continue to bring you these interviews every week. So if you love the show, please donate. Little known fact about my guest today, his first professional job was working with a children's theater company. It almost killed him. Lucky for us, he stayed in the game. Welcome Tony Award winner, Reed Verney. everyone. I am here today with the 2016 Tony Award winner for Best Featured Actor in a Play, Reed Burney. His first Broadway play, Gemini, was in 1977. Other Broadway plays include Picnic, Casa Valentina, for which he was also nominated for a Tony, and of course, The Humans. Off-Broadway plays include The Family of Man, Bug, Taking Care of Baby, A Small Fire, Blasted, Circle Mirror Transformation, Uncle Vanya, and I'm Gonna Pray for You So Hard. Films include Mad Woman, Half the Perfect World, and Occupy Texas. On TV, he has been on Gossip Girl, The Blacklist, Blue Bloods, Girls, and for several seasons, he has played Donald Blythe, Vice President on House of Cards. Welcome Reed Bernie. Hey, Alana. Happy to be here. This is a particularly fabulous week to have you sitting in the podcast <laughs> clubhouse because just a few days ago, you won the Tony Award. Indeed. While it's still fresh, while you're still half asleep, <laughs> am I dreaming? Did that really happen? Completely. Yeah. I'm walking from the Beacon Theater to the JCC where the press room was. I remember turning to our press guy and I said, is this really happening? It was the most surreal sensation. Walking down a street, I've walked a million times, but in this unbelievable context, it was amazing. So is there like a little parade from the Beacon Theater where the Tonys are held to where all of the actors go right afterwards? That's right. That's right. You first come right off stage and there's a, it was in an alleyway. It was like a wind tunnel that that night. And you take some pictures in front of the official Tony step and repeat. You know, everybody's hair was bad, so I don't know how they can use those pictures. <laughs> I have a picture of me with Jessica Lange standing there with our Tonys and I look like a racer head. So uh, <laughs> that's not And she great. does not. And she looks looks fantastic. And she looks like Her hair wasn't Jessica moving. Lange. It looked just like, my God, it's Jessica Lange. <laughs> 
And then they whisk you over to the JCC where they've uh, got a bank of computers and, you know, the press corps is there. And then there's a whole wall phalanx of uh, photographers who take your pictures. And then you can go back and watch the rest of the show. So when do you reunite with your family? Half an hour, maybe 40 minutes. Did you sit down and really loudly go, what, ha- what did I miss? Yeah. <laughs> what happened? Wait, wait, stop. Who won? <laughs> what? So what was the moment when you heard your name? And the American Theater Wing's Tony goes to Reed Bernie for humor. It was pretty great. Uh, people had been saying very nice things to me for weeks and weeks. and There were odds in Vegas that there were might be odds called in, Vegas. in your favor. That's right. And then the worry became that I was going to get punked. You know, That would be awful. Like that awful movie, The Oscar, where Stephen Boyd thinks he's going to win and they call Frank... And he, because his name is Frank, he thinks it's him and it's Frank Sinatra. So he's <laughs> stood up and it actually happened to Frank Capra, apparently, in real life. Uh, he, th- there was a mix up and he started up to the stage and it wasn't him. And when I've looked at the videotape, I think I bolt out of the chair pretty quickly. And I knew I had some stuff to say. Right. So I was like, I can't dilly dally shaking people's hands. Were you like, stage. out of my way, yeah, out of my yeah, way. Yeah, there were cameramen and... <laughs> And there was a sad little rickety staircase on the far right of the stage right. that I climbed up. But you don't see that on the thing because they've cut to the clip of me in the play. So you miss my ungraceful climbing up the <laughs> stairs, holding, holding onto on. the presidium <laughs> like an old man. I did see you breathing quite heavily when you first got <laughs> to the podium. And well, now I understand wouldn't you? Why. It is surreal to stand up there and look out and see all those peoples and many balconies and, you know, filled up. Well, I'm going to read something. This is a quote from you. Okay. You said, the last thing I want to say is I've been an actor for almost 42 years, which I cannot believe I am saying. All 35 of them were pretty bad. And that's a lot of them. And I just couldn't get anything going. So the last eight have been great. The math is bad. It would be seven, but... (laughs) It's okay. What does that really mean? I feel like my journey as an actor, because it really is quite a remarkable late career success, as recently as 2007, which is now nine years ago, I was doing plays and absolutely convinced that my career was over. The play that changed everything, I've said this many times, was blasted in 2008 at the Soho Rep in a 77-seat theater. So I had no expectation that that was going to do anything other than give me a great part. But before that, the last play I did before that, I had seven lines. Uh, It was a catastrophe. Anytime I've ever tried to play the game, it's been bad. And so the epiphany after that last bad play was the dream is not going to come true. I'm too old to have the dream come true. So the next 20 years or whatever I have left, I just have to do parts that I want to do. And if that means I get paid $275, which is what I got for Blasted, that's what I have to do. If I'm going to be an actor, then it has to be about playing parts I want to play and stop trying to suss out what's a good move. And I feel like as soon as I embraced that policy, things changed. Now, maybe it's just serendipity or what, but I I think once I got clear and then ironically, um, you know, the dream is coming true. My late career success, I think, gives a lot of people a lot of hope. Did you study... 
theater in college? Boston University for theater and left after sophomore year because I was ambitious and impatient. And I was like, let's get going on this and moved to New York when I was almost 20. I was in an acting class that I got into in New York. I had auditioned with a guy. He wanted to get in the class. I was just his scene partner. I got in the class and he didn't. And it saved my life. It was a beautiful acting class that I was in for seven years. And in that class with me were uh, Sigourney Weaver and Mercedes Rule and other wonderful actors. And uh, that was great. Then I got Gemini very quickly, ran for four years. I did it for a year and a half. Uh, So I started with a big bang, but I was in the play for a year and a half because I couldn't get another job. It was before anybody was interested in young people. It was pre-Brat Pack. So there weren't a lot of parts. They still had 35-year-olds playing 18-year-olds in those days. And I just couldn't get anything going. A couple of years after that, I did my first movie. I had a wonderful part in an Arthur Penn movie called Four Friends. That's right. I had a great personal success in, but the movie was not a success. And so it sank like a stone. And that really was hard to take. The thing about a play, if it's a flop, you know it right away. And you clear out your dressing room and go home. Mm -hmm. But a flop movie, you made it a year ago. You've waited a year and then it opens and it's you're like, well, maybe someone will see it today. It might be playing in some theater somewhere. Right. Some, you know, so you're, there's this weird amorphous expectation every day that like maybe a call will come. Sure. And then finally you're like, oh, there are going to be no calls. And so that really sent me spiraling. Uh, and this was now the early 80s. I left New York for a year in 1985. I took a year off. Where did you go? I traveled around the world. I moved to Paris. My grandmother had died and left me some money. And I used every penny of it. I moved to Paris for five months and I took off with a backpack and uh, went around the world, literally around the world, went to Africa. By yourself? By myself. See, I find that so brave. I don't even like going to have a cup of coffee by myself. (laughs) You must really like yourself. I, I'm pretty good uh, on my own. When you're traveling by yourself, my journal was my traveling companion, and that was great. But you hit the wall a lot where you're like, what am I doing? You know, you're sitting on some ferry from Greece to Italy, right. and you're like talking to these people, and you're just like, oh, I don't care about a thing you're saying. <laughs> Shut up. But, but I also, I'm just so happy somebody's talking to me. <laughs> exactly. It's both. It's like marriage, it's, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I uh, guess it's better than not being married. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. All right. But I was, because I, I turned 32 on that trip, I was older than a lot of people who were doing that trip. You know, there were a lot of kids. That's your story. You're often just older than a lot of people doing the trip. That's right. It's working for you. Well, you know, all's well that ends well. I certainly would rather have a late career success than early career success and then dry up and everybody's like, whatever happened to? Right. Where are they now? Where are they now on the BuzzFeed? What's what Reed Bernie looks like now will make you gasp. <laughs> And luckily, it is what you look like. You, it is exactly Nobody what you look like Nobody knows what I now. used to look like, right. so it's fine. There's no before. <laughs> There's no before. So how, which is not true. I mean, I, I like the narrative. It's not exactly accurate because, I mean, I think it has a lot to do with, well, what was the dream? Some people would look at your resume and go, this man has worked in I, one incredible play 
theater, director, cast well, that's after really, another. That's really been the last eight years. Before that, I, I worked pretty much. There were two times I went a year without working. Mm-hmm. And one of those years, I went a year without an audition. That's a good year. You're really like, oh, I'm out of my mind. What'd you do? Well, I was in incredible despair. Do you know what I mean? I don't I don't really know how I got through it. Mm-hmm. I think I drove a lot of people away because I would meet for lunch and rant like you do. What is it about Reed Burney that kept going and really believed somewhere, even though it got dark, for all of those years that you should stay in it? I think that the truth is that I am an actor. Mm. In 1994, after my trip around the world, which was still one of the proudest things I've ever done, uh, things still weren't good. And I I went to a career counselor who had successfully rehabilitated several of my friends. I met with her for three months. And at the end of the three months, she said, I got bad news for you, Reed. You're an actor. When you say rehabilitated your friends, I was suddenly thinking of those camps where you go in gay and you come out married. (laughs) And looking like the stars of Book of Mormon. <laughs> All right, where are you from? Delaware is where I say I'm from. I, I lived in the Delaware, or either in Delaware or, or around Delaware, Kennett Square, Pennsylvania, until uh, after ninth grade. And then we moved to Buffalo. Um, my dad was an Episcopal minister and was assisting bishops in these very the Bishop of Delaware, the Bishop of Western New York. So we moved to Buffalo, and uh, and then I went to college at BU. So um, it's, but I say I really feel like my Wonder Bread years were in Delaware. And were you an actor as a kid? Yes, I was this freakish, freakish little boy. I remember saying to a group of people when I was probably five, "I want to be an actor," and they were all amused and horrified. Well, growing up in a religious family, as you did. Yeah, I mean, it was not Bible thumping, but, you know, it was, yeah, okay, religious, yeah. When I was really little, he had a parish, and it was really hard on, I think, the family, because he was at everybody's beck and call. Do you have siblings? I do. There are five of us. I have two older brothers and a younger brother and a younger sister. And I'm so I'm the middle child. I'm the classic middle child, probably desperately in need of attention, but... uh, Probably not. Probably. Right. Right. It's hard to say. Were you always hilarious? Um, I think I was pretty funny. Were I you like the funny. family clown in your family? No, I have a, my next older brother is much funnier than I am. Connie Shulman. My wife. Your wife, who plays Yoga Jones on Orange is the New Black. Check for out our her listeners. podcast with Alana here. She's, yes, yeah. she's she's yeah. a guest on this show as right. well. Um, gave birth to your children. How did you meet? We met doing a play. At uh, the Long Wharf. I had seen her. She was in the original cast of Steel Magnolias, Mm -hmm. as you know. And I had seen her and thought she was fantastic in it. Didn't know her. And then several years later, her best friend was my agent. And when we both got cast in this play, this agent said, you and Connie should go out. And I said, oh, I know Connie. Yeah, she's great. She's not. Yeah, she's not really for me. And we did the play, and Connie's memory is that I had a big crush on her during the Long Wharf production. I remember that everybody, it was like everybody loved everybody. It was one of those happy things. You know, it was a a, a great company. Then the play ended. I didn't stay in touch. I think I sent her a Christmas card several months later. And then the following March, her friend said, Connie's in a play in Hartford that she's really proud of. And I said, oh, let's go see it. And so we drove up on this miserable March day to Hartford. And Connie was in a play called 
Imagining Brad by Peter Hedges. And uh, she was the comic sidekick, which she often plays. And um, she was hilarious. And then somewhere in the second act, she had unbelievably heartbreaking monologue about being battered. And I was sitting in this theater. Her friend, my agent, was fast asleep. As all good agents are. Fast asleep. <laughs> and while I was watching her, a little voice said to me, you're going to marry her. Really? Yeah. The only other time that voice has ever talked to me is walking up Broadway in May of 85. And I was so miserably unhappy and really felt like I was dying. And the voice said, take a trip around the world. So I started pursuing Connie and she was absolutely clear she was not going to go out with another actor and no interest in that. Um, and luckily you didn't work for 35 years, so she well, didn't. But, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Everyone was, got what they yeah, wanted. Yeah, everybody got what they wanted. <laughs> Then we both got the play that we had done in New Haven came to New York, and we were the only two from New Haven that got cast in it. What play was that? It was a play by Teresa Rebeck called Loose Knit. So I had 10 weeks at second stage to, to wear her, her down. Right. Yeah. And I did, and here we are. The rest is history. So you have been doing House of Cards on and off. For four years. Yes. I've been in all four seasons. How has that show been? That is a hugely successful television I show. I remember when we were filming the first season and it was on Netflix. And I remember having conversations with people like, what does that mean? It's on mm -hmm. Netflix. How are people going to find it? They have to right. watch it on their computer. Confusing. Nobody's going to watch this thing. Donald Blythe. There's a lot of sadness that that character, yeah. and not always garnering as much respect along the way he well, may have wanted. Well, I had one one friend who pointed out to me. She works in Washington, so she's around all the stuff. <laughs> she said, "Reed, do you realize you're the only person on House of Cards with no staff?" I don't even have a secretary. I'm well, vice that, president of the United States. Well, I don't even have a secretary. You are thrifty. <laughs> And the people so I'm wandering to... around with a manila envelope <laughs> under my arm. Like, uh, can anybody help me? You're like, listen, I will actually pay. I know Netflix is limited in budget. I will actually pay for a couple of extras. Just stand next to me. Connie and I will make some sandwiches. Some you don't even have to feed them. Anything. Secret <laughs> service. Somebody. I have four brothers. <laughs> All of whom would be happy to there come down There are so many tall, day. strapping young men standing around in coats. Give them that grip. Give them the grip. <laughs> Get them over here. just stand here and hold. <laughs> Actually, if sound could just hold the boom and also just be wearing like some kind of U.S. I know. We'll get them pin. a badge, something, a flag. <laughs> now, until she had said that, I'm just Had curious. not occurred to me. Not, <laughs> not even occurred to me. I no, mean, I knew there was so something sad about you. Donald Blythe. He's so but sad. She, she actually pinpointed it. She's like, yeah, you got no support. Not only is your wife dead, <laughs> which is very sad. Very sad. You actually have yeah, no staff. I have no staff. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. And hilarious. Yes. But uh, it's a great job, and the writing is so good, and this last season was thrilling to do. What is it like to work with Kevin Spacey? Kevin is a pro for sure, and he knows exactly what he wants to do. So there's no, you know, I mean, it's he's very clear and very driven. Who are some of the people that really mentored you and inspired you? My fifth grade teacher, Mrs. Purcell was the first grown-up that got me. May 19th, 1965, we did the all-school show, Pinocchio, and I was Pinocchio. And it had been my idea to do a musical, because the high school did 
best foot forward or something. And I remember going to the music teacher and saying, we should do a musical. And I in wanted your best to, Pinocchio in, voice. Well, I wanted to do the music man. I wanted to be Harold Hill. Oh, I Robert think she, Preston. Yeah, I think she thought that was a little uh, advanced for, for us. So they, they, she found this kooky at operetta, and I got to be Pinocchio. And I actually consider that my the beginning of my career because it was the first time I performed at night. Uh-huh. It was a Wednesday night, May 19th. I think that's the benchmark. I think that's how that's you know. That's when it started. Is there a nighttime show? Yeah. It's professional. Uh, yeah, it's it's the real deal. So Mrs. Purcell really was very instrumental in supporting my dream. She she had only joy around it and, and bought it. She was childless, uh, married, and uh, I stayed in touch with her. I called her every May 19th for the rest of her life. To, was to, that the opening night of Pinocchio? That was the only performance. <laughs> that was the opening night. It was one night was- only. Yeah, May 19th. It was SRO. SRO. One in night the, only. In the cafetorium. So I called her every May 19th and we stayed friends. And, and at the end of her life, I was doing a play in Philadelphia near where she lived. And we were having lunch one day and her husband had died. She was going blind. She didn't drive. And I said, what are you going to do with your body? And she said, I want to have my ashes scattered where my husband's are, but I, but I have nobody to do it. And I said, I'll do it. So in her will, she specified that her ashes were sent to me. And they sat in my closet for seven years until I had, I was doing All the Way in Boston with Brian Cranston at ART. She wanted to be scattered at Acadia State Park where her husband's ashes were. So on a day off, I drove up to Acadia and scattered her ashes. It's amazing. It was a very profound moment in my life that she trusted me with that. And I could do that for her. It was amazing. That's incredible. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. I hope someone will do that for me someday. I, I, I think you're going to have a lot of options. <laughs> I'm going to write that in my book. Read Bernie, and if you could do it on May 19th, that would be, <laughs> that would particularly... be even more. I should have scattered her ashes on May 19th. It didn't work out that way. But, but you know what? We can retell the story quickly where you just say right now, and on May 19th, I went to that state park with her ashes because we we can edit. We can make you but look again, like it's a, a true it's hero. A little neat. It's, it's a little, a little neat. Who would believe it? Who would, no one would believe it. All right. You win the Tony. Uh-huh. The Humans is a gorgeous play. Beautiful play. You play the most complex person quietly. But the thing that's wonderfully challenging about it is that I agree he's complex, but he is a man who is leading an unexamined life. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've never played anybody like that. I'm usually playing people in coats and ties who are, you know, smarty pants and uh, have fabulous articulation about everything they're feeling. And Eric doesn't. He, he doesn't, doesn't have, have the luxury of self-examination. I think like a lot of people in, in America, in the world, honestly, they've got too much to do. There are too many problems and there's too much on the plate for them to have the luxury of self-reflection. And so he doesn't get what's happening and he doesn't know how to get out of it. And it's it's very, very sad. I, 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 I don't know if I'll ever have a part as fabulous as this again. Well, I will only say that whether that's true or not, only time will tell. Only time will tell. But I dare say in watching the play, it would lend itself quite beautifully to a film. And if that were to happen, I certainly hope that you would get to do it so well, that that part could be shared I would with love masses that too. And, and I masses think that, of people. I think there are some plans to make a movie and we will see, you know, certainly a lot of 
wonderful performances from Broadway didn't get to do the movie version. Uh, that is really more the norm than not. Right. But I'm Zach Galifianakis would kind of be amazing. Wouldn't he be amazing? Fantastic. <laughs> Maybe Josh Gad. There are a lot Josh of people Gad. who I These see. These guys are amazing. But yeah. before you go, can you think of just a really good audition story that when some, sometimes you still wake up in sweating? Um, the one that pops to mind yes. was an audition for Law and Order that I had been on 20 years earlier and had never even had an audition since then. And it was for the role of a longshoreman. Mm. And I said to my bad manager at the time, I don't think I'm right for this. She's like, oh, no, 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 no. They asked for you. I was like, okay. And, you know, you don't say no because it's law and order and there's nothing else going on. So I went in into the room and did my best sort of New Jersey longshoreman you can only imagine. Yes. And they sat and nodded quietly and they said, thank you very much. And as I left the room and closed the door behind me, I heard the room erupt into laughter. <laughs> falling out of chairs. <laughs> laughing. <laughs> and everybody in the waiting room heard it too. And I said to my my manager, when I say no, it means no. Mm -hmm. I'm not doing that again. That was as humiliated as I've ever been in my adult life. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm happy for those Law & Order people because what a grind to sit there yes, all day. Yes, I so brought you them, gave a them a joy, present. A little joy. You gave them a present. <laughs> but their you day. not so much. So you really have to think of it more as a public service. <laughs> I think that you're really making some beautiful lemonade for me today. Guess who got the last laugh? Well, part of the problem with late career success is all the people who were mean to you when you were young are dead now. You can't even. I, I have no revenge. And then the people no that revenge. you love, you can't even remember their names <laughs> anymore. You're like, I would love to thank you, but literally, yeah. I could barely remember <laughs> right. my address. You were nice to me <laughs> once. Well, yeah. many years from now, I can't say if I will remember your name. <laughs> because there is a history of dementia in my family a mile long, but I will never forget what it is like to sit in the audience of a play that you are in and be transported in ways that very few people are capable of doing. Oh, thank you, Alana. Truly, That's... from the bottom of my heart, thank I am you. honored to get to talk with you today. So, so thank much you fun. for being here. And thank you for sharing Congrats your on stories. your amazing podcast. It's a lot like getting a Tony. It's exactly a the lot same. like getting a Tony. <laughs> Clouds can make the wind blow. I'm Alana Levine. Thank you for listening. Please don't forget to rate and review our show in the iTunes show page. Little Known Facts is recorded at the Hangar Studios in New York City. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. 
And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.